Over Christmas, Beckett got the privilege of uh, portraying Tiny Tim, not in a play, but in a meet and greet at the College of the Albemarle before a performance. Uh, you can maybe think why they invited Beckett to play Tiny Tim as a kid about his age. Beckett, once he got all of the, the, the costume stuff on and had his little crutch and hobbled around in the, lob, the, the, the lobby of the, the auditorium over there, he really began to resemble and reflect Tiny Tim. When you looked at him, you could see Tiny Tim. There's a reason that they selected Beckett and not Aaron. Stand up, Aaron. Would he have been a good Tiny Tim? No. You see, uh, an, an actor or somebody who is seeking to, uh, to be the, the double of someone, when they're doing it well, they, they resemble them. When you look at them, you should see the person they're seeking to represent. The same thing would have gone for, for Beckett. If somebody had brought a soccer ball into the lobby of the auditorium over there, and Beckett throws his crutch down, and all of a sudden is going around kicking the soccer ball over the lobby, you're going to say, hold on. Before, when you were functioning rightly in your role, we could see Tiny Tim. But when you forget about that, and you throw it off, and you disregard it, we no longer clearly and fully see Tiny Tim anymore. We've been uh, working our way through the books of First and Second Samuel. We took some time off during Christmas, kind of, but the theme that we were looking at in Advent really pointed back to what we've been studying. God is using these books of First and Second Samuel to point God's people, our hearts, our, our longings, our anticipation for His chosen King. Remember that what we saw at the beginning of 1 Samuel is that people wanted a king, but they wanted a king that looked like the nations. They wanted a king, when they looked at their king, they saw a king that ruled like the kings of the nations ruled. And God evaluated what they were doing as saying, they have rejected me as being their king. Later, God would put a man that he chose on the throne. A man who was not to rule like the nations. When they looked at this king, when he functioned and fulfilled his role rightly and properly, they should see God. His character revealed. His priorities, his heart shown in the way that he ruled. This morning, we are going to look at a chapter in 2 Samuel where David gets it right. David here in this chapter, in a very real and vivid way, when we look at how he lives out this chapter, we see a glimpse of our God. So if you would, look with me here in chapter 9 of the book of Second Samuel. If you're following along with one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 260. Kids, if you want to uh, follow along this, uh, this week, 
We got some awesome pictures uh, over Christmas of the, the sermon from, uh, from Revelation. Uh, but how about this morning? You're gonna, there's two main characters uh, in, this, uh, in this passage. One is David, and one is a guy you're going to meet named Mephibosheth. You might not be able to spell that, but how about if you do this? Draw me a picture of Mephibosheth before he meets David, and then draw me a picture of Mephibosheth after he meets David. Before and after. You're going to have to listen to the, uh, the passage and listen to the sermon to find out what, uh, who Mephibosheth is, what he was like before and what he was like after. But draw me a picture of that and hand it to me after the, the service is over. So let's follow along. Chapter 9 in the book of Second Samuel on page 260. This is the Word of God. So let's hear from him this morning. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all, to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your accurate, preserved, clear word that you've given us. We pray that you would continue uh, to do what you've promised, to use the scriptures to cut deep into our hearts, that we might know more fully who we are, see our need, and hope and rest and trust in Christ. Do that this morning, we pray. Amen. So, when 
David is functioning properly in his role as God's king on God's throne, when we see him, we should see the character of God demonstrated. Notice how we see that here. In in God's king, we see God's kindness. It's the first thing we want to look at. In God's king, we see God's kindness. Notice there in verse 1, what David first says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now remember who Jonathan was. Jonathan was Saul's son. Saul was that rival king that the people chose that God rejected. But Jonathan had given his allegiance to David. They had a close relationship of trust and love with one another. Jonathan many times had looked out to save and preserve David's life. And he had entered into a covenant with, uh, with David, asking David to preserve his family once God delivered him from all of his enemies. So David here is beginning to refer to, to that. But notice first what he says. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? But notice what David says over in verse 3. When Ziba, this servant of, uh, of Saul, comes, the king says, is there, still, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? You see, this kindness that David is saying that he is going to show and demonstrate, and that the author here of 2 Samuel is telling us, is that this kindness that David is going to show to Mephibosheth is the kindness of God. It's motivated and flows out of God's kindness to David, God's kindness to his people. And what David is seeking to show isn't just his own kindness, but what we should see demonstrated and as we approach this chapter is that what should be reflected as we look at and examine the kindness that David shows to Mephibosheth in it we see and behold the kindness of our God. You see, this is how God's king was designed to function. This is his purpose among the people, to be the chief disciple of God the king, to reflect to the people what it looked like to walk faithfully before their God, so that as the people were wondering and struggling, what they should do is look to the king. And as they looked to the king, they would see an example and a model of what it looked like to trust and walk and follow their God. If if the people were looking to God's king, expecting God's king to act and look and rule, like the nations, like other kings of the world, they were going to be very disappointed if that king was functioning rightly. Because God's king was placed there to reflect his character and his priorities. We've seen throughout 1 Samuel that just as God promised to David that one would come from his line who would rule forever, This would be one who would sit on God's throne, who would be God's king, ruling over God's people, and of his kingdom there would never be any end. This king, this descendant, this heir of David, was Jesus of Nazareth. 
And when we look at Jesus of Nazareth, he was no mere man. Jesus was God the Son who took on flesh, who entered into our world. And when we look at Jesus, we see that he perfectly, perfectly fulfills this role as king over God's people. In Jesus, we perfectly and always and only see God's character demonstrated to us and the kindness of God shown. We see that actually in the the New Testament. Listen to how John... John was one of the 12 men that Jesus chose to be his authorized spokespersons and his followers. And John, writing to us his account of Jesus' life and teachings, writes this about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. This is from John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the, in the he was in the beginning with God. Then down in verse fourteen, listen to what he says about the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, "This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness." We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. What John is saying is when we look upon Jesus, we perfectly and truly and clearly see our God revealed. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know who God is? Then we look to Jesus. If we think that we're going to find out anything about God by just thinking to ourselves what we think God must be like, we're going to fall short. We're going to distort who He truly is. If we think that we can look to other religions or other faiths, or other spiritualities, thinking that they may give us new, or unique, or helpful insight into who our God is, we're going to be mistaken. Because it is only in God's King, and in His Ruler, that when we look to Him, we see His character revealed. Jesus is the only one who fully and truly reveals to us the kindness, the grace, the mercy, the character of our God. In fact, Jesus says the same thing of himself, and you think, in case we're mistaken to think maybe John was just uh, embellishing or making this up. In John 14, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, this is one of his other followers, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says 
Do you want to know what the Father looks like? Do you want to know who God is, how He acts, how He relates to humanity, how you are made right with Him? Then look no further than me. Look to Jesus. Because in Jesus, God's true and forever King, we see truly and accurately and rightly the kindness and the character of our God. So David is showing us that in this chapter, we are going to learn something about the character of our God. We're going to learn something. If we want to understand and see the kindness of our God, we should look at the way David relates to Mephibosheth. So what does that look like? What does God's kindness look like? Well, back over in 1 Samuel 20, when Jonathan made and David made this covenant together, this is what Jonathan says in verse 14 of chapter 20. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when Yahweh cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Just looking at it on uh, on the surface level, the, the, the simplified form of what Jonathan is saying is, David, I know God's going to give you the kingdom. Please just don't kill off my family. Allow my children to live. You know why Jonathan would say something like this? Because this is the way the kings of the nations operated. When a new king took over, they looked at these rival kings that came before them and their family members and their intention and their purpose and the way that they operated was to slaughter and wipe them all out. We can have no threats to the throne. They are all viewed as enemies, and they were. And what those enemies deserved and what their, uh, the, the verdict declared on them is they were guilty and they deserved death. So here, when we come and we begin to think about Mephibosheth, the first thing that we should see is that from the worldview of the culture, from Mephibosheth's perspective on himself, and from the way that the kings operated, Mephibosheth is an enemy of David. Mephibosheth is as good as dead. So what we begin to see is that as we look at this, that's the perspective we need to understand. Here, what we're seeing is David showing great kindness to an enemy. What kind of kindness does David show to Mephibosheth, this enemy of his? Well, first look and see that the kindness that God shows, the kindness that we see David showing, is one as he extends his enemies abundant provision. Look in verse 7. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. David is saying, look, Mephibosheth, all of these lands that Saul had acquired, all of these lands that provided for him and for his household, I'm giving back to you. I'm giving back to you to be your provision. Notice how this continues to to come up. 
Look in verse 9. All of this land, and it was vast, Mephibosheth isn't going to be able to care for it in his own. Remember, he's crippled. He's lame. So David calls Ziba, Saul's servant, and he says, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. All that David gives him is going to be so, so vast that it's going to take all of Ziba's sons, all 15 of them, and all of his servants to care for this. And what is the goal and the purpose? To provide for Mephibosheth so that he will have bread to eat. How much does it take to feed and provide for one man? We find out later he has, at least he has a son. But all of this vast holding, David is saying, Mephibosheth, I am wanting to show kindness to you. Do not fear. I'm going to abundantly provide for you that you will never hunger. You will never lack. And he gives all of Ziba's house to be Mephibosheth's servants. Here in Elizabeth City, if you don't want to go into a grocery store and shop, which I can completely understand why you wouldn't want to, especially if you have uh, a multitude of children, it's a lot easier to just go on an app, select your groceries, have somebody at the grocery store pick all that stuff out for you, and then meet you outside of the store with it all bagged and ready. They put it into your car, and then you drive home. You save all the time shopping in the grocery store, and you can occupy your attention to other things. It's just one problem. There's two stores in town that both do that, and they have different ways of you communicating to them how much of something you want. At Walmart, for instance, if you want to order bananas, you order by the banana. If I want 10 bananas, I put in 10 as the amount that I want. But at Food Line, it's very different. As Laura Kerner learned earlier this year at our community group, she showed up with bunches and bunches of bananas. Because at Food Line, you order by the pound. And she put in the number of bananas that she wanted, used to ordering at Walmart, and brought an abundant provision of bananas. She had enough for her household. She brought it, and our entire counter was full of bananas that everybody in our community group could take bananas home. This, this abundant provision coming to us from Food Lion was an accident. They didn't do that on purpose. But what we see here is the, the kindness of God is intentional. David intentionally sets out and says, Mephibosheth, I want to give this to you, and I am intentionally, it is no clerical error, all of Saul's land and all of these servants will be for you so that you will have what you need to eat and survive. Abundant provision is shown to enemies through the kindness of God. But also notice, it's not just abundant provision, but it's adoption. Go back up to verse 7. David says to Mephibosheth, Do not fear, 
For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Notice what he, first off, this reflects back to see how abundant this provision was. Where's David going to, where's Mephibosheth going to be eaten? At the king's table. He doesn't need additional food. Yet David's already said, I've provided everything you're going to need. And on top of that, I'm giving you even more. You will always eat at my table. There will never be a time where you thirst, where you hunger, where you are in need of anything. But notice what that means. It's not just about food. It's not just about coming up to the palace, walking in and finding your name tag sitting in front of a chair. Notice what David says down in verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Here, an enemy is being adopted by the king into his family. And for the rest of his life, it came up over and over, always, always you will eat at my table. Always you will be like one of my sons. Tells us that in verse 13. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. David moves him from where he is so that he can be closer because where do the king's sons live? They live with him in the king's city. For he ate always at the king's table. Here, David is showing abundant provision. He's showing grace and kindness and mercy to an enemy, providing him all that he needs and adopting him as one of his sons and bringing him into his family. And that, do we not see a beautiful, beautiful picture of the character and the kindness and the mercy of our God? That, that God would, would extend kindness like that to us who are enemies, those who have rebelled against him. But yet he comes and he pursues us and he extends to us grace upon grace in Christ. He provides us with abundant provision in Jesus. He adopts us into his family in Christ. In fact, over in Ephesians, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, I want you to listen to what he says here, and I want you to listen for words that Paul uses that would direct our attention and our minds to abundant provision and to adoption. And listen to how they're secured and they're found. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What do we have in Jesus? Notice it uses the term Christ here. That's not Jesus' last name. It's a title. He's the anointed one, the king, God's king. And in God's king, what do we as people receive? Every spiritual blessing. You want to talk about abundant provision? What is not included there? Every spiritual blessing. Bananas upon bananas upon bananas upon bananas. 
your heavenly Father extends to you. In verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in our wisdom and knowledge. Adoption. Brought into the family in the kingdom of God. How? Through His King. Because when we see and we look upon Jesus, we see clearly and fully the kindness, the grace, the mercy, the love of our God. That us as enemies, us as sinners who have rebelled and rejected Him, who are as good as dead, He extends to us grace and mercy that overflows in abundant provision. You have everything that you need in Jesus. An adoption. You are brought into the very family of God. And those who have looked to Christ in faith as it tells us over and over, that's in Christ, it's in Christ, it's in Christ. That is a status that will never end. We are always His children. So, we've seen that God's King, in God's King we see the character of God, we see the kindness of God revealed to us. We've seen what that kindness looks like. As we've seen the way that David has dealt with Mephibosheth. But lastly, this is the question we want to ask ourselves, is how do we, how do we experience this kindness? Notice, this may sound a little bit confusing, but the, the way we experience the kindness of God is through His kindness. Look back. Look back at verse 1. 1 Samuel 9, I mean 2 Samuel 9. And David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Who initiated this? It wasn't Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth had nothing to do with what is going on here. The kindness that Mephibosheth experiences and that he receives flows out of the love that David has. It has its beginnings in David's kindness. Mephibosheth recognizes, and it, it shows it, that he, he has nothing to offer. This offer that David extends has nothing to do with anything that Mephibosheth has to offer. Notice his response in verse 8. When Mephibosheth comes into David's presence, and David communicates to him this great kindness that he is showing to him, giving him the land, adopting him into his family. In verse 8, Mephibosheth pays homage and says, What is your servant that you should, should re show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth recognizes that he was as good as dead. But in his death, the kindness of God was shown to him in David, and he experiences abundant provision and adoption. 
In fact, these words that Mephibosheth uses is very similar to what David says when God extends this great promise that, that the promised forever king would come from his lines. You remember when David said this in chapter 7, verse 18? King David went in and sat before uh, Yahweh and said, Who am I, O Lord Yahweh? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David recognizes that the kindness God extended to him was something that he did not deserve. It flowed out of the free grace and mercy and love and kindness of God. David was a recipient of it. And Mephibosheth now sees the same thing. He has nothing to offer. In fact, he needs everything. You notice the, the, the description that came up over and over of the emphasis of what it wanted us to know about Mephibosheth? Back up in verse 3. Ziba wants to remind the king about this. There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. How did the chapter end up? So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. Back in that culture, if you couldn't walk, if you couldn't work, you needed everything. You couldn't provide for yourself. You couldn't provide for your family. That's where we meet Mephibosheth at the beginning. Remember, he's living in someone else's home. Someone else is taking care of him and his entire family. Makir, the son of Aniel, and Lodabar. Mephibosheth needs everything. He has nothing to offer. Yet in his need, in his death, David enters and shows him the kindness of God. You see, as we read this passage, what we are invited to do as God's people is we are to see ourselves in Mephibosheth. We are to recognize if this is the way that God extends kindness and what His kindness looks like, then in order for any of us to experience the kindness of God, we don't look to what we have to offer and extend to God. Like we're going to convince Him. This would cost David a lot. He's going to provide for and care for Mephibosheth, everything moving forward. Mephibosheth can give nothing to David. It's the same way with us. Back over in Ephesians. Listen to what Paul says about us prior to coming to know Christ and of the description of how we come to be beneficiaries and experience the kindness of our God. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Hear that? It's not because you were so good. It's not because you had so much to offer. It's because of the love that God has for you. Because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where we were. At the bottom of the pool. The verdict, the penalty, the consequence was death. When we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We have nothing to offer. We are totally dependent upon the kindness and the grace and the mercy of our God. How do we experience this kindness? It's through His grace. It's through His kindness. It's through coming before our God and recognizing we have nothing to offer. And we look to Him in His grace and His mercy and acknowledge, like Mephibosheth, I am here dead. Without your mercy... I will perish, and I deserve it. But in your grace and in your love, you have given yourself, and at great cost, to even giving your life to redeem and save sinners, we call out in faith to Jesus that He would save and redeem us. And the good news of the Gospel is that for everyone who calls out to Christ in faith, the response is that you experience His abundant provision and His adoption as He lavishes His love upon you for eternity. Do you know this Jesus? Are you looking and hoping and resting in Him? The verdict is death, but the free offer of the Gospel is mercy and kindness and grace in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for Christ and all that he has given for us. We thank you that through him we find redemption and forgiveness and provision and grace. Please help us to see and recognize our need and the sufficiency of Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.